You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. I want to read. Um, I want to read a letter to you. I just got it this morning, and I was so glad uh, an email came. I uh, had heard about Soul Sanctuary, the church uh, opening up and uh, starting in their new facility on Chevrier Boulevard. This very moment, as we meet, they're meeting for the first time on uh, Chevrier Boulevard. And I got a, a letter back from uh, Pastor uh, Clinton Craker, who is the pastor of uh, Community uh, Life. And he says, um, on behalf of Jerry and myself, as well as our whole staff and congregation, thank you so much for the warm welcome. God has indeed been faithful to us. We are excited to begin worshiping him in his, this new facility. Partnership in the gospel is our sincere desire, and we hope to pray and strategize with you all about how to make disciples in our neighborhood of southwest Winnipeg. My sense is that God is making unity and cooperation a priority in the hearts of many believers around Winnipeg, and we look forward to pursuing it and learning how to make it happen. We also welcome you to join us at our official launch, which is going to take place on September 21st. It would be wonderful to see a face from your church community. Grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, Clinton Craker. So indeed, let's mark that on the calendar, and uh, uh, that September 21st, we'd be able to go and bless that new church, uh, that new facility of the church family called Soul Sanctuary. Well, we have been walking through the book of Ephesians and uh, enjoying uh, a lot of time just uh, talking about what God is, is teaching us, and uh, we've We've taken about six months, actually. We started in January to look at Paul's theology, and then we began in February to look at the actual letter that we find in our Bibles uh, called Ephesians. And uh, just before we uh, open up the scripture, I just ask if we just bow in prayer one more time and let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. And as we pray, just take a moment as you close your eyes, maybe, to be conscious of the presence of God right now, right where you are. And I think in a special way as a community of faith right on this property, how long do we know whether we will have the privilege of worshiping Christ and preaching his word in open air ways? Uh, I don't know where Canada is going in that way, but we rejoice that we're able to be here today right now. And so just right now, would you create in your own heart a sanctuary and would you recognize that indeed uh, this, this property that God has given us is somehow a sanctuary for, for his people as well and for the worship of his praise. And so let's pray together now. Lord God, we, we know not what the future holds, but we know that you hold the future. And we thank you and praise you for your grace in our lives. And we, we want to, along with uh, the church community called Soul Sanctuary, we want to bless you for helping them get to this stage of, of having their facility ready for use. And Lord, uh, we thank you also for this property that you've given to our church family. And we don't know all the plans you have for us, but we're seeking by faith to walk one step at a time and see you unfold your will. And we know that it's all about building people into the kingdom of God and nurturing followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be all about. And so God, we give this property to you. And if, if this a new facility on this place would be advantageous in your kingdom and in future generations to see more and more nurtured followers of Jesus, then Lord, let it be so and show us the way. We thank you, O God, that in each of our hearts right now, we can reverence Christ as Lord, 
you are the king of our lives. You are the king of our church family. And Lord, we ask you that you'd have your way and that your lordship would be acknowledged today. Guide us, Holy Spirit, as we review what we've been learning in Ephesians. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn in Ephesians, we're going to read a portion from Ephesians chapter 6. And again, as is our custom, we're going to ask you to stand one more time to just hear God's word. God bless you. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin with verse 10, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am doing and what, and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. May God bless his word to us. You may be seated. When we began our study of Ephesians months ago, we started by talking about the insecurity of the church in this day and age in Canada. I was quoting a study by a group of sociologists called uh, Hemorrhaging Faith. The study is called Hemorrhaging Faith. In 2012, they did a study, and for every three people who attended church as a child in the 1980s and 90s, only one continues to attend church today. And so that gave rise to lots of speculation on the behalf of the people that were doing the study. Uh, one of them said that many of those youth don't say that their faith is not important, but they don't want it tampered with as they figure out to get a life in today's culture and society where it's complicated to live it out. And so obviously there's this insecurity that comes upon faith when you live in a culture, in a pagan society, when you're surrounded by people that don't have the same mind, and so on. And yet no evidence in the, in the New Testament is ever given that we have uh, an example of an isolated Christian that's in union with Jesus Christ, but not in communion with the saints. There's no example in all the Bible of that, really, that we are, we are called into relationship with Jesus and at the same time called into relationship with his people. And you can see that the incredible insecurity that arises 
when, when a, a people stop connecting to the body, the fellowship, is because they have, they have this, in, this incredible internal experience of God and faith in Jesus. And they have all these non-Christian friends they hang out with that they can't share that vital part of themselves with. And yet they're not linked intimately to a body of believers, Christian friends that they are also known by walking through all the issues of living out grace in this world. And so they're caught between these two worlds and they live in a sort of an insecurity as a result. God didn't plan it that way. And, and so as we look at Ephesians, Paul, as strange as it may sound, writing 2,000 years ago, has a message so very relevant to the church of today. Because you see, the first recipients of the letter of Ephesians were a marginalized, small group of Christ followers. They lived in a pagan city, uh, even more pagan than Winnipeg in some ways. They lived in a pluralistic culture that, that said every way is okay, choose what you want. And they lived in a tolerant society that that said, you can do whatever you want as long as you say at the end of the day that Caesar is Lord. doesn't matter what else you do or say. Except when the Christians started to say that Jesus is Lord, then, then they got into trouble. And the intolerance of government and society, pagan society, came against the Ephesian Christians. Because you see, people will not mind you saying Jesus is Lord... As long as you say at the same time when you're with them, whatever else they're following, whether it's a good, pleasurable life, alcohol, sex, whatever it might be, that's Lord for the moment. And that's what it was like for the Ephesian Christians. They, they, they were not persecuted because they said Jesus is Lord. They were persecuted because they could not at the same time say Jesus is Lord and supreme and then follow the idolatry of the heart in all the other things that God said, I call you away from that, and I give you a new life. And so we see in Ephesians a very relevant message to talk about the security, the security of the believer in Jesus Christ and in the body of Christ as well. Paul is writing from prison, and he knows uh, very well Ephesians, Ephesus. He's been there a few times, and he's writing to say, how do you live it out? And he uses three principal verbs in the uh, book of, of, of Ephesians, he uses three principal verbs, and they are, looking for my water, and they are sit, walk, stand. If you don't remember anything from the sermon, you remember those three verbs. And you will know the book of Ephesians. Paul writes about sitting, being seated with Christ in the heavenlies. He writes about walking in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. And he talks about taking your stand and standing your ground against the devil and all of his forces. In the 1950s, a man by the name of Watchman Nee wrote a book. His, his actual name was Nee To Ching. And he wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. It was a very brief little commentary on the book of Ephesians. He begins the book by saying this. He says, The Christian life does not begin with walking, but with sitting. Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Ephesians opens with the statement that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ, and we are invited at the very outset to sit down and enjoy what God has done for us 
not to set out to try and attain it for ourselves. And so Paul, in writing this letter, is, he actually takes half of the letter to talk just about the first verb, the sitting. And he's, he, he describes it this way. He first expounds upon that God raised up Jesus Christ, his son, after he had provided purification for sin by dying on the cross. God raised up Jesus and he has seated him at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that's what chapter 1 says. And then in chapter 2, he uses the same language. And he says then, and he also raised you and I up. He raised us up with Christ. And he has seated us as well in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father. So everything that he says about Jesus, he says about the believer in Jesus. We've been raised up and now our position is a seated position, just like most of you right now. But you're spiritually seated in Christ Jesus. Very important language. Because you see, you must learn, Paul says. This is the foundation of theology. You must learn how to sit. If you're going to learn how to walk and if you're going to learn how to stand. You've got to learn how to sit. Would you just learn how to sit still, please? I'm not talking to you children right now. I'm talking to all of us. Would you just learn how to sit still? I feel like that's Paul's message as he begins. He just says, you're already seated in Christ. You have such security. Would you just learn how to sit still? That's what he's saying. Alan Redpath wrote, he said, that we are living in an age, and he wrote many years ago, we are living in an age which has lost the art of being silent with an open Bible and waiting for God to speak. That's the practice of the theology of being seated with Christ in the heavenlies is, is as you live it out, you, you sit still and you know that He is God. Another author by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, We are silent at the beginning of the day because God should have the first word of the day. And we are silent before we go to sleep because the last word also belongs to God. Do you hear in this from these men who walked with the Lord that their secret was all about sitting still, knowing and acknowledging that their identity, their security, their position in Jesus Christ was fundamental to their understanding of how they get up in the morning and walk it out in the day in a pagan culture or in a non-Christian family or with a non-Christian spouse or with all kinds of issues standing against you in, in, in trials of life. That, that it's important to learn how to sit if you're going to take your stand against the devil when the fiery dart comes your way and your shield of faith is meant to be held up. So that's the way Paul begins. He talks about being seated. Back in February, I think it was, I, <clears throat> I showed to you a $20 bill, and I, had a, I have an old German Bible that's uh, printed in 1841, and I put the $20 bill into the German Bible, and I said to you, now what if this wasn't just an 1841 German Bible? <clears throat> what if this was the only Gutenberg Bible ever in existence? that was printed in 1455. Now, there's 48 in existence, actually. But imagine that, that was there, there was only one in existence. You would be a fool 
to go searching for the $20 bill, wouldn't you? If you had the only printed copy of the Gutenberg Bible worth millions of dollars. Why would you go searching for the $20 bill if you had millions of dollars right in your hand? You see, the point is that that we are like the $20 bill and the Gutenberg Bible I'm describing is, is like Jesus. God has taken everyone who's trusted in Christ and turned from sin and he's placed us in Jesus Christ. And in our experience religiously, we tend to make so much of ourselves. We make much of our performance as Christians. How are you doing in your Bible? How are you doing in prayer? How are you doing in not sinning and so on? We make much about our faith and much about how we live it out and much about our performance and our gifts and our abilities. That's not what God does. God makes much of His Son, Jesus God makes much of his son and he puts you in Christ because he wants to make much of you, but he can't make much of you unless he puts you in his son and makes much of his son and you're in his son. And so Paul begins by talking about being seated in Christ. Our security is in him. You know, that's in the Old Testament that the, the, the word father is used of God 14 times always by the nation of Israel, collectively. No individual Jew in the Old Testament times would ever call God Father privately. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and in the Gospels we have over 60 references when Jesus said to God, Father. Paul picks up that theme as he learned it from Jesus, and he teaches the people that he writes to, that we also, because we are in Christ, are children of God, and we can call God Father. In fact, we can call him Daddy, Abba, the the Aramaic, uh, very personal term for Father. And so you see, the point is that if you're not going to be seated with Christ and in Christ, if you're not going to understand that all of your security comes from that relationship, you will not live a secure life on this earth. You will be insecure in your own self-identity, in your relationships with other people, in your deportment and your behavior, in the way you live out your life, in how you walk it out as a Christian, and definitely before, God, uh, before Satan and all of his forces. And so Paul begins in Ephesians 1, he says that God adopted you, and he adopted you into his family. I'm thinking right now of Daniel and Laura Lee Penner over in China, getting ready to adopt Jaden right now. What an incredible picture spiritually of what God did for every blood-bought child of God. So we're seated. That's vital theology. Soak your mind with it. Get saturated in it. Never forget it. Every day, let it, let it haunt you. Let it be on you. You're seated with Christ. That's where your identity comes from. And God gives us not spiritual commodities. He does not give us little bits of grace. He does not give us little packages of virtue. Doug uh, prayed it earlier in the beginning of the service. Everything that God wants to give you is Jesus, his son. So you cannot get more patience without getting Jesus. You cannot get more love or more forgiveness or more of whatever else you're looking for in your spiritual life without getting Jesus. You see, everything that God has for you, He gives to you in the person of His Son. And He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise for what He's doing. That's why in Corinthians 1.30, 
Paul says, for he has become to us, Jesus has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and holiness and redemption. Everything, Jesus is that for us. And so we look to him. Think about someone right now you have a hard time loving. Think about someone maybe just recently that you've had a hard time getting along with. You know, you've tried, you've tried to love them. You've prayed about that relationship. You've determined you're going to force through and you're going to love that. You're going to struggle, you're going to struggle through and you're going to keep in that relationship. You're doing all the right things, aren't you, outwardly? But this person somehow isn't loving or they're not lovely or they're not lovable or whatever it is. And as soon as you get in relationship, as soon as you get back to a conversation with that person, just every good intention just flies out the window and all of a sudden you're no longer in a good relationship and there's a, there's a fight, there's a, a disagreement. Have you ever been in that place? You see, what, what, what's happening here is that good theology has not been getting worked out. This faith journey you're on, God wants to take you to a deeper place where you're seated with Christ. Instead of just trying harder like you're inclined to want to do and ask God for those little little packages of more patience, He is saying to you, no, 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 I don't want to give you just packages of patience. I want to give you my son in more of his fullness. So get seated with him and spend time with him and draw near to him. Stop trying so hard and start trusting more. Throw up your hands in despair when you pray and say, God, I can't love this person. That's the first honest prayer you might be having with regards to that relationship. And then upon that confession, begin to say, God, now, now that I am absolutely empty, would you start to fill me with the love that you can have? Because Jesus has no trouble loving and forgiving that individual. No trouble. That's where you need to go. I wonder sometimes if we've really shallowly defined faith. I wonder if faith is not really what happens at the end of my resources. I wonder if faith is really not me trying with Jesus to figure this out, but actually coming to the end of myself and then saying, God, please help me with this. And that's when I step into the light of faith. I don't know how we... How often we get there? I think we're inclined to want to be in control, want to be self-sufficient. And so we don't go there naturally. And sometimes God takes us by the hand and circumstances of life take us there. Where we begin to walk by faith because we've come to the end of our resources. As I said, the little acronym of faith. Remember F-A-I-T-H? Do you remember, anybody remember it? Extra pulled pork for the person who has it. F, forsaking all I trust Him. That's faith. Forsaking all I trust Him. Let's move on. Let's talk about walking. Paul introduces us to the second primary verb in Ephesians when he gets into chapter 4 and he says, I, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live a life. The word live in NIV is really the word walk. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. And I think about eight times in the last half of Ephesians, he uses that word walking it out. He takes three chapters to build the foundation of sitting. And then now that you have been seated, now you can walk. 
And he says, walk it out in a worthy manner. There's uh, unity, he says. That's all about walking it out. Unity in the body. He, ca- he talks about maturity. You're, you're growing together. Speaking the truth in love, you will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Maturity together. He talks about being those who do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He talks about those who, who are imitators of God. He talks about walking in the light as Jesus is in the light. And all of these ways are ways we walk it out. But then he gets to the sweet spot. And he gets into the relational section. And he has three primary domestic relationships. He, a few weeks ago I talked about marriage and husbands and wives and how they walk it out. And then we, Chris Wettstein a couple weeks ago talked about the, the child-parent relationship, fathers and mothers and children, and about the workplace relationships. You see, but before that relational section, what does Paul do? <clears throat> he takes a moment and he says, I want you to be wise how you live. And he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Could someone bring me my, my sidekick here that's sitting there? Doug's sidekick. Yes, thank you. I forgot to bring him up here with me. Doug demonstrated this last week. And, uh, and this, is, um, this is the Avengers. And so the point of that, the, the illustration that Doug gave us was, if you're going to walk it out, if you're going to stand firm in the faith as we get into this whole picture of standing against the devil's schemes, you're going to have to be filled. And I think Doug had one of these that was not filled with air, and it just is this limp plastic blob. But of course, filled with air, whenever comes against it, it comes back to stand up. And that's the illustration is that Paul is saying in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk on wine. Don't let other things occupy your life and lead to a life that's just debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is the evidence of the filling? He says it right after that. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music to God with a thankful heart. And then submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. These three evidences of the Holy Spirit's filling... He ushers right into the whole relational section. So husbands and wives, what's your, the filling of the Holy Spirit look like in your marriage? Well, you're speaking to one another. That's a good start. And you're speaking to one another in edifying terms, not in tearing down words. And you're full of gratitude and thankfulness to God for what you have. And then thirdly, you have this attitude of submission, mutual submission one to the other out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on to talk about the family, children and parents. What, what's the filling of the Holy Spirit look like? And at the workplace, what does the fullness of the Holy Spirit look like? And it's not until he's done all those domestic relationships that he then gets into the idea of taking your stand against the devil's schemes. And in that capacity, let me read one more chance, uh, one more uh, quote from Watchman Nee. He says, Christian experience begins with sitting and leads to walking, but it does not end with these. Every Christian must learn also to stand. Each one of us must be prepared for the conflict. We must know how to sit with Christ in heavenly places, how to walk with Him, worthy of Him down here below, but also we must know how to stand against the foe. So we, we need to learn how to stand against 
the devil's schemes. It's interesting, you know, that when we read the scriptures and we see what Jesus did when he was on earth in spiritual warfare against the devil and what we're called to do as Christians, there's a fundamental difference between what God the Father asked Jesus to do and what God the Father asks us to do. Jesus was called to come down to this earth and to absolutely trample underneath him the devil and all his demons. His his weaponry and his warfare spiritually was absolutely on the offense. And he crushed Satan under his heel. But what do we read in Ephesians? We read, not that we are to be on the offense against Satan, but rather we are to be on the defense. For here we see in Scripture, a few times Paul says the word, stand firm. The word literally means to stand your ground. Put your feet somewhere and do not be pushed back. You see, the point is that Jesus already gained the territory we need Jesus is already Lord over everything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. We don't have to fight on the offense to get more territory from Satan. Jesus is already sovereign. We just have to stand the ground that Jesus purchased with his blood and stand firm against the devil's schemes. You see, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Very important distinction. And so when God the Father sends out the church of Jesus Christ into this world, into this earth, into our communities, into the the places of this world in northern Manitoba or India or Bolivia or wherever we go, He is sending out a force that has already got the victory and is told to stand firm in what Jesus Christ has purchased for us. And so as Doug referred to last week, We have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, it's, it's a picture. It's a picture of the Roman soldier, likely, that Paul was chained to. This is how we do battle. These are the things we need. Paul, I think, is as he's writing Ephesians, very much mindful of the book of Joshua. He was thinking about how Joshua led Israel, the nation, into the the promised land, the land of Canaan, where all the other peoples lived. And he was thinking about how at the end of the primary conquest of the land, he, he took a big map and he drew out 12 allotted portions for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he said to them, now, it's all yours. It's already been won. The battle is done. Go and occupy the land. Yeah, there's little pockets of resistance here and there. You're going to have some battles to to fight. But the, the essence of the war has been done. It's your land. Now go, walk it out. Stand against the enemy and, and live there. That is the picture of you and I as Christians. That is what we're called to do. The, 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 the decisive battle has been won by Jesus. The territory is ours. He's got an inheritance for us. And he's saying, now go into the land and and live it out, your spiritual inheritance. Now, if you get a picture of Galatians or Ephesians chapter 6, 14 to 17, you get this picture of this Roman soldier. I love the way it ends. He kind of ends in verse 17. 
take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then I get a picture of this, this soldier all dressed for, you know, all dressed for battle. And he's saying like, where's the war? Where's the enemy? And the very next verse, 18, Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given to me that I might fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm in chains. You see, Paul is saying, I think, that the place of the battle, the place that the battle's being fought is mostly in prayer. A place where I feel so very weak so often. A place where maybe a lot of us here would say, yeah, if there's any area of my walk with Christ that I could grow greater in, it's got to be my walk in prayer. You see, but, but prayer, as he, as he ends the book of Ephesians and goes to this prayer idea, prayer is really going back to where he started. Prayer is going back to the seated position. Prayer is going back to where I am seated with Christ and everything that is his is mine and all spiritual blessing is mine. I can just go to him and say, Lord, I call upon you in the name of Jesus. Pour out more grace upon me for this task. Now, can you... Can you not imagine that if Paul the Apostle, at the end of his letter, <laughs> this mighty Paul the Apostle says, could you just pray for me, please? That whenever I open my mouth, I just the words will come. Have you ever been in a situation, you've had a chance to share your faith with somebody, and you just don't know what the words are going to be? Well, why don't you ask for prayer from somebody? And then the second thing he says is, and then even if the words come, even if I know in my head what I'm supposed to say, pray for me that I'll boldly, fearlessly make it known. Because I'm not always very bold. I'm thinking if there's any bold person in the whole New Testament, it's got to be the Apostle Paul. But you see, he didn't, we don't know him like he knew him. And, and, and we don't know each other like we know each, ourselves. And so we know that we all struggle with fear. We all struggle with a lack of boldness sometimes. Well, why don't you, why don't you ask for someone to pray for you about that? Because if you band together and pray for each other, that words will be given to you for that relationship that you're, you're involved in and that the, the, the boldness and wisdom of Christ will be given to you as well. Boy, God's going to work. God's going to answer prayer. And all the resources that are seated beside the Father in Jesus Christ, are going to be yours. I just want to say there's one more verb that I'll refer to before we conclude, and it's the word pray. Sit, walk, stand. Paul ends the whole thing with prayer. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. And you know, before I, <clears throat> before I finish the sermon, let me just say that there's a, a bit of a challenge that our church family has faced in the last few months. And I believe this is, this is kind of the, the providence of God that that we're, we're concluding with Ephesians and that the sermon is kind of a survey. And we're having a chance to scan the land and survey the land of Ephesians and see what the spiritual lessons are. And I think that there's a, there's a case in point in our very own fellowship that needs to be applied. And we need to take a good look at it. And it refers to the women's ministry and their studying of the Daniel plan, which happened in the last few months. The Daniel plan is a a study that Rick Warren from the Saddleback Church prepared, and uh, it's uh, 40 days of healthy lifestyle together. 
It's a brilliant approach to, to a community life, a brilliant approach to healthy living and so on. And uh, the women's ministry back in the spring wanted to study this. We, we began to look at it, and as pastors, we thought, well, let's take a look at this. And so we saw some of the material. We saw some of the videos. There were three concerns that we had with the, the material. One of them was the, the very name of it, the Daniel plan. Uh, there, there's only one reference to Daniel, and, and it really isn't, you know, parallel that, that uh, when we look at Daniel in chapter 1, that he was not eating the king's food of Nebuchadnezzar because he didn't want himself to be defiled. And this idea of healthy living, it's really a stretch. And so we didn't like that name. Secondly, we, we saw that some of the material was uh, not really the way we like to approach Scripture, had a marketing kind of approach, a thematic idea, and then go look for Scripture that will support your theme. And you know that in our church, our preference is to... to be expositional in the Word of God. We expose what is there. We go through books of the Bible. Because if you don't do that, sometimes the danger is that you start imposing instead of exposing. You impose ideas on the text. And, and, and again, I, I listen to some of Rick Warren's uh, teaching, and some of it is right on. Some of it is right on. But some of it I thought, you know, that could be taken wrong. Nothing is outrightly wrong. Nothing is against our statement of faith. But some of it could be misunderstood. And then the third thing that we struggled with a little bit was the fact that some of the source material for the Daniel plan are some people that we would not endorse if you followed their links and followed their web pages, Dr. Oz and so on. We wouldn't endorse that, some of the New Age teaching that they follow. Yet, inside the Daniel plan, they have some very good teaching in the area of health and diet, fitness and so on. The five essentials of the Daniel plan are the faith, food, fitness, focus and friends. And so at the end of it, we, we kind of studied this a, a little bit, and we could tell by the women leadership that they really saw this as an opportunity to just commune with other women, draw others in, and, and study together about being whole people and fitness and diet and so on. And, and when we shared some of our concerns about the material, they just said, yeah, well, we're of like-minded. We agree with you. And so with the intent and the content shared, we, we just said, please go ahead. Pastoral staff said, please go ahead with the study and you have our full blessing. And uh, I talked to the board about it as well. And the board as well uh, gave their blessing. And uh, one board member, Bob Hogue, who is, uh, was representative for the deacons board, uh, who is a, a sharp man when it comes to studying truth and being involved in lots of understanding and of, of different authors and things they say or teach. He had a conscience that was bothering him about this. And uh, so he came to us and he said, I, 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 I know that the women aren't, aren't uh, trying to follow the wrong path here, but my conscience is bothering me and I need to step down from leadership. The very following board meeting, we invited Bob to come back and share with us. And we, we totally respected his decision. I respect his decision. You cannot follow against your conscience. And so, even last night I had another conversation with Bob. I don't know if he's here this morning. They were away on holidays. But uh, uh, he, he is of, of a complete unity because he knows that our unity is not based on things like programs and curriculums. Our unity is in the Spirit and in Jesus Christ and faith in the Son of God. And so our moderator two weeks ago, gave, Dave Wynn, gave a report to the church about uh, Bob's resignation. And, uh, you know, I th- thought it was fairly clear, but 
you know, you don't get all the, the behind-the-scenes details, and so people were concerned. Some misunderstandings could be surfacing. And so we decided we would address it again this morning. What do you need to know? Three things. You need to know, number one, that the decision to run the Daniel Plan was made by the pastors and the board, not by the women, and that there is agreement by the pastors and the board to have gone ahead with the study. Okay, that's number one. You need to know that. Number two, that there was absolutely thorough discussion and prayer with all parties involved. I mean, I think I, I was very pleased with how we processed this decision and then gave our blessing to the women as they continued to, dis, to, uh, to po- follow through. We were concerned about the, the truth being upheld and loving relationships being upheld. Jesus, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, you will grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Thirdly, you need to know that there was over 20 women that did the Daniel plan, and they were absolutely blessed by it. I've talked to some of them, by its teaching, by its content, and, and even more so by the relationships that they were forming. So what are the key lessons that we should learn from this as I apply it? Number one, that in the body of Christ, we're not all the same. That in the body of Christ, we're different. And uh, we don't require conformity here. That's not what we're about. I stood right here in the field yesterday and spoke with a man about his religious history and how he had grown up Catholic, got involved with Jehovah's Witnesses and so on. And one of the, as the conversation continued, we started to talk about this control factor. Do you, do you manipulate and control? Do I tell you what to think when I preach? Does the leadership say you need to do this? Do we censor material and do we try to control people? And the answer is no, we don't. That's in fact a cultic kind of characteristic. Now I can preach and I can say, I can plead with you, I can urge you to follow the truth, but you are, you are, you are at, at liberty to believe what you need to believe with a clean conscience before God. And so one of the first things that I want you to know is that we are not going to agree on everything on this earth. But we can have unity in the spirit through the bond of peace in spite of the fact that we don't agree. And Bob Hogue, for example, I don't agree with him on the fact that he had to step back from leadership. But he felt in his conscience he had to. We have, we have absolute unity in the faith. I value Bob as a part of this body of Christ and as one who carries the sword of the Spirit seriously in the truth of God. Secondly, we must seek the filling of the Holy Spirit in our relationships. Can you not see what Ephesians says? Paul saying, be filled with the Spirit because if you don't, the devil's right behind you. He's going he's to attack you in relationship. That's where he attacks most is in relationship. And so be, be wise and be filled with the Spirit. Don't stop speaking to one another. Don't stop giving thanks for each other. Don't stop submitting to each other. Maybe I got something to learn from both sides of the camp here. And then thirdly, we must not let the, not let the enemy cause division. Neither in relational insensitivity or in heresy or untruth. We don't want to give him any space. Fourthly, if you have questions... Another lesson this little excursion has taught us is if you have questions, go to the people you have questions about. If you have questions about why Bob stepped back from leadership for now, go talk to Bob. He said last night, I'd love to talk to anybody. If you have questions to the board or talk to Dave Wynn, the moderator, talk to the pastoral staff, any one of us. We want transparency. We, want, we don't want Satan to get in and worm his way in and start creating silly things. And then finally pray. I think we just have to pray. We have to be so vigilant 
in prayer. I want to conclude. I know I've been going a little long here, but Paul, Paul says pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And I think praying in the Spirit is not some kind of a, a weird kind of exercise for the super-Christian. I think every one of us is called to pray in the Spirit. And that means just being so saturated with God and so seated with Jesus Christ and so in communion with Him that you will bring out of your life of prayer all the kinds of prayer that God gives us. The capacity praying, the circumstantial praying, the confession praying, the supplication, that intercession and thanksgiving, everything. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions because that's what we need. And so I'd ask the worship team to come and Paul concludes the, <clears throat> the message and Kevin and the team, if you could come. Paul concludes the message and he finishes his letter and this man by the name of Tychicus might have been his scribe. We're not sure. He might have been the one scribing out the letter of Ephesians and then Paul says, I'm done. Go take it and give to the people this letter that's going to bring security about them in their life. Do you know that it was said of Christopher Columbus that he didn't know where he was going, he didn't know where he was when he got there, and he didn't know where he'd been when he returned? I'd say that's insecurity. But you know what? We know who we are. We know where we're going. We know where we've come from because Jesus Christ is our guide. God bless you, and uh, let's worship him.